Long-term recovery takes time, but you're not in this alone. My name is Tamar, and I'm here to walk this journey beside you. Come and take a guided tour as we gain a deeper understanding of our behavior, the mind, and our spirit. Each week on the Your Sober Now What podcast, you'll hear real stories of transformation, science-based relapse prevention strategies, and steps that you can take to enhance your life so you can achieve long-term sobriety. Thank you for being here and let's get into the episode. Hi and welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me today. My name is Tamar and I'm going to be your guide for this adventure. Now, if you are looking for a home in recovery, come check out the Connected Calm Life community. This is a private space for women who have declared that they want to live their best life while being alcohol free. There is meditation, mindfulness, neuroscience, and astrology. And these are just some of the tools that we get to use to thrive in our recovery. So if you're feeling totally stressed out, overcommitted, you know, feeling that rage because of today's environment and this complex world that we live in, come take a connected calm breath and join us. You can find us at members.connectedcalmlife.com. On today's episode, I am chatting with Jordan Thomas from the Jordan Thomas Foundation. Now, he has an incredible story, and we talk about all sorts of good stuff when it comes to staying clean and sober. We talk about, you know, resilience, starting small, recognizing your inherent value and worth, you know, surrounding yourself with great people, and asking for help. Right. I think all too often we try to do this alone and we don't have to. So I hope you enjoy this interview. I sure did. And I'll see you at the end of the show. Today, I'm excited because I'm hanging out with Jordan Thomas. How are you, Jordan? So great. Thank you so much. How are you? I am doing fantastic. And, you know, it's very common. I think we were kind of just joking around about this that when we meet other people in that recovered life, we can have amazing conversations and really we, we I need to start recording the conversation before the conversation <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, well because it, it's like the it's that thing of shipwreck survivors right right when you tell me that you're in recovery and I tell you we have some idea of what that might have been and what was included and involved in that right and so there's this immediate admiration respect that I have um that says like wow you know, I'm impressed from the rip, you know. <laughs> I know. And I think I always tell people it's such a gift because a lot of people feel alone. A lot of people struggle. But one of the things that we have that some other people do not build for themselves is that network of common, you know, we have this commonality between us, right? We understand each other and we have the same talk, which I just think is so cool. So for those of my audience members that don't know you, why don't you do a quick introduction of who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Jordan Thomas. I'm 33 years old, just turned 33. And I live in Nashville, Tennessee in the States. Um, I run a nonprofit organization dedicated to young child amputees. So we provide them with prosthetic devices uh, that enable them to live their childhoods. And 
uh, we provide sort of a support network for them to, to eliminate barriers and limitations that they and their families may face uh, with their physical disability. Wow, that is incredible. I absolutely love what you do. And, you know, so kind of to give everybody an idea of how that evolved for you, you know, what was life like growing up and, and kind of what led to your substance abuse? Sure. You know, I, I had a pretty idyllic childhood. I, I was really fortunate to have been born into a family that had uh, quite a bit of resources. Um, you know, I had loving parents. I had both, both parents in the home. Um, but I, I very much grew up in a household where uh, both my parents being doctors, I, I, we had these rules, right, that were spoken, unspoken, covert, overt, you know. Um, and so I, I had this, I grew up, you know, a very loving, supportive family system. Um, but it was very clear to me from the outset, like, hey, you know, sort of intellectual capacity and, and what you're able to do uh, intellectually is, is, is kind of the, the, the most praised uh, commodity in, in the world, right? And, and I could never compete with my brothers. I was the youngest of three boys. So um, I could never intellectually sort of match up to that. So I, was, I grew up now looking in hindsight with this idea of that less than mentality, not being enough, like thinking like no matter what I do, it's not going to be enough. Uh, and now I reflect back on that and I see where that, how that fed into my addiction, you know, and how that fed into sort of my belief system and thought processes around my worth and my value. Um, so, so much of, like, of my, my young childhood, what I was doing was I found that I was a really good athlete. And so I could get praise and attention uh, from my folks and from my brothers by what I was able to do physically with my body because um, I couldn't compete in the space of sort of intellectual prowess. Like they were, they were you know. And so uh, we're, we're cruising along sort of with happy-go-lucky kid, always good, had sort of all of these resources. My parents were really good too about um, you know, this notion of like, to whom much is given, much is expected. Like service was always a big part of my life. Even as a kid, my parents really instilled in us this idea of like, you're really lucky. You're really lucky. So like, it's your job to like, use what you have to like improve and, and, and be of service to others. Um, but suddenly one day in 2005, as a 16 year old kid, I'm scuba diving in the Florida Keys and uh, we're a long ways off the coast and I get hit by a boat propeller and immediately lose both of my legs below the knee. And so now, as you can imagine, like a life-threatening situation where it's like, am I going to come out of this thing alive? But then what am I going to do if I do recover? And when I do recover, how am I going to address that hole inside of me that is saying, you're not enough. You will never be enough. Da, da, da. So not only is there a tremendous big T trauma that takes place, but it's like, how do you reconcile that moving forward as a 16 year old boy? Uh, you know, what do you do? And what I found was alcohol really helped until it uh, did, you know? Yeah. And I think that a lot of us, right. I drank because of my inability to handle my emotions, right. Okay. I didn't, I didn't go through that type of event, but a lot of things that you said really resonated with me, right? I had the the loving home, the loving family. My parents too said, you know how lucky you are, yeah. right? And I always, that resonated with me. But my dad was always, you could do better. You could do better. Mm -hmm. And so I also, I played soccer for, you know, and I was good at it. Yeah. And that gave me that external 
attention, right? And focus. Like I wanted people to say, I'm proud of you. Good job. Right. And I crave that. And so when I started drinking, all of that went away, right? I didn't care. I, I was finally, I was funny. I felt like I fit in. Like I, I share often that my world went from black and white to color yeah. and everything was so vibrant and I wanted to chase that. So what did that look like for you? What did your addiction look like? And kind of what brought you to that point where you're like, I got to change? Yeah, so really this big, the, the, the really big one for me when my addiction, so I started drinking at age 15. Um, I, I felt like you were talking about that immediate sense of like belonging. I fit in. I felt funnier. I felt more comfortable. I, I was like the voices were sort of like turned down a bit, like this self-critical, you know, itty bitty shitty committee or whatever you want to call it. Like that, like, you know what I mean? Like that, just that, those voices of like, you're a piece of shit and all that stuff um, just quieted down. And so my, my drinking was pretty, I would say normal as a 16 year old, if that's normal. Um, but when it really took off for me was when I went away to university, um, you know, all of a sudden, all of my, every, all of my relationships, everyone knew me from before my accident and after my accident, everyone knew me as able-bodied. And then with this disability, suddenly, then I go away to university and only people know me as someone living with a physical disability. And I felt so much shame around my body, uh, around how I looked. I felt shame around um, how to interact with women, with girls. Um, I felt just so much shame around my my accident. Um, and so that's when my drinking really started to take off. And, and I was the kind of drinker where like it, sometimes it was great fun. Like I was the life of the party kind of person. And then sometimes I'm like, you know, in fetal position, crying, angry, like just the volatility was all over the place. I never knew what was going to come out. I never knew how uh, I just, it was, I was so unpredictable. Um, so I did that for a couple of years. Um, and then I recognized like, Hey, I, I really need to do something differently here. I went to treatment for the first time after that, but wasn't really ready. Wasn't ready to quit. Just couldn't imagine my life without alcohol. Um, and then went on for another couple of years. It got progressively worse as it does, you know? Um, and then I became, I was a, at the end, I was a daily drinker. I was drinking all day, every day. Uh, I hated it. I didn't want to do it. I couldn't stop. And that was terrifying. When I recognized that I truly couldn't stop drinking, it was like, oh shit. Um, and I'm lucky because my dad is also in recovery from alcoholism. And so I knew that there was this different way. I knew that there was another way. Um, I never wanted to find out what that was, but um, yeah, when I recognized that I couldn't stop and then I recognized I can't imagine that it will, my life, I will always feel the way that I feel right now forever and ever. When that started to become like a reality for me, that's when uh, I started to look for alternatives. And that alternative at some points was like, I'm going to jump off the seven story balcony uh, and I'm just not going to wake up. That was, that was like where I got to. Yeah. And I think that's a point a lot of us get to. And you, you know, said something very, I think that's important to note is that we will quit when we're ready because yeah. I had so many people. I mean, I remember sitting with a friend and I was coming out of a blackout and she's like, why do you keep doing this? And I'm like, I promise I'll quit. This is the last time. And I can't tell you how many times I've said that to people and you know, I had hit in my 20s, a very dark physical bottom, right, where I got into harder drugs, 
couldn't even like in that in that time period, I was like, how did I get here? Like a person yeah. like me does not become an, an alcoholic and an addict, especially a drug addict, right? Because I had always labeled that as like, but that was the rea- like, you know, using cocaine, that was a solution to my blackout problem because it wasn't the yeah. alcohol, it was the blackout problem that exactly. I had, right? Exactly. And so <laughs> for those of you that can't see my face, I was just nodding previously, you know, like, yeah, that makes sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing because we can all relate to that, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, I hit a spiritual bottom, right? Where I didn't want to live anymore. And that was when I said a little prayer and I wasn't, you know, I had gone to church when I was younger, but I joke around that I think my parents sent us off with friends so that they could have an alone Sunday. Um, But, you know, I just thought, you know, if there is some sort of God or high power, then why higher power? Why did I have to go through all this? Right. But the reality is I survived through all of it, which is a miracle. But I said that little prayer. And in that moment, I got that like, you know, okay. Maybe I meant to be here for a reason. So, you know, once you finally hit that point, uh, you know, the time that I always say your bottom is when you stop digging, right? There's yeah. no, <laughs> there's no comparison. We just decided to stop digging at a point. What did the early recovery process look like for you? Yeah, I was, um, and it's this thing, it's that thing where I, you're exactly right. Like we're done when we're done and there's in, um, for me, like when I look back now, I'm so grateful that it got to where it got to because it's really fueled and it really energizes like my desire to work a good program. Like I don't ever want to go back to that. And it, and I use it today, you know? Um, but early recovery, I, I was really lucky to have gone to a great facility here in the States um, for treatment for 45 days. And then I was lucky to go to another kind of step down from that. Um, so my first six months, I was pretty much like institutionalized. Like, you know, I was pretty much in a treatment facility for the first six months. So, um, I was really gung ho. I really just got to work, rolled my sleeves up and I shut up and I started listening and I started to find that connection with something greater than me. Um, I started connecting with people, um, and I started to just like, thaw out you know what i mean like i I felt so frozen like all that trauma all that shame all that guilt all that stuff was just so tightly wound up and this uh those first six months just sort of allowed me to kind of like get a little bit looser and then i started to see hope like i started to find like wow like i I couldn't imagine my life without alcohol at one point and then i started to recognize like wow maybe there is more to this thing you know like beyond just drugs and alcohol and um yeah so my first six months were were really, really good. I think, I think really good. I look back on them very fondly um, because it set sort of the groundwork for what I do now today. Like I do, the, I try to do the same stuff I did in my first six months today. Um, and I fall short of it sometimes, you know, but like it really got me ingrained in the recovery community and what, what it means to be in recovery, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, that community you know, yeah. we're very fortunate and we talked about it, you know, briefly before is that we have this gift as people in recovery where there's so many of us and yeah. there's so many of us that, you know, we can talk to each other and we have that same understanding of what we're going through. I constantly watch people try to do this thing alone. And it's like, well, I'm not going to go to a 12 step program. I'm not going to do this. 
because I don't want people to know, A, that I have a problem. It's like, well, you know, if you come and you come check things out and you figure out what works for you, you'll be surprised that there's a lot of you, you know, you're not unique in that. But, you know, how has community for you been a a big part of your recovery? Massive. I I can't imagine doing it alone. A, why why would you? But B, there, there is just no way I could have done it independently like i i have folks i have men that i talk to almost on a daily basis um you know now today but like especially early on like learning from other people and seeing what's worked for them and just replicating it like not recreating the wheel but just like learning and being coachable and like recognizing that i don't have the answers for once you know and like the humility in that and like hey will you teach me how to to do very basic things what were like very basic things like i really needed to learn how to do it because i was like an infant like i didn't know how to do things without without drugs and alcohol i didn't know how to do it um paying taxes like doing like really basic stuff that like adults do checking your mail like developing some structure like all of these things like i had to learn how to do it age 27 because i just had been so stunted you know i was so uh yeah i just didn't develop it like everyone else and so yeah, the community was everything. And to be able to just share openly, to be able to say like, man, I just don't feel good enough. I don't feel a part of, I don't feel, I feel sad, especially as a man, like to speak to other men and to say like, to say those things and for them to say, oh yeah, me too. And here's how I dealt with it was like, really, (laughs) you know, really though, seriously, it was huge. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And it's, you know, it's funny when you start to open up about the things that you've done, right? And you do get that reaction, like me too. And then they tell you a story that you're like, what? Like, it's, it's really cool, I think. And, you know, it's actually, I was saying that there's a lot of science behind this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, emotional discomfort is part of belief revision, right? We can revise our beliefs when we listen to people who share stories that are very similar to our own. Mm. And that is actually a scientific way to change your belief system, right? And then also challenging your belief. And I think that recovery does that. I think, you know, allowing me to see that pattern of, okay, Tamara, this is what you do, right? And most of, like you said, I was told in early recovery, from the time we stop drinking to the time we start or start drinking to the time we stop, we don't develop emotionally right it's like so when i got sober i was that 14 year old girl again that was like oh what is this like what is this water coming out of my eyes here like this is really uncomfortable yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) totally Uh, and i love that i love what you said about um for me like have being able to receive and, and to hear uh certain folks share about like really vulnerable intimate things and to hear the stories and beliefs that they've made up about themselves because of those things they've done. And to know that my reaction is, oh, you are so lovable and so worthy and so precious. Despite that, like, who, how does that have any value, any impact on your intrinsic value? And then I start to apply that to myself and I go, you know, you know what I mean? I know you know mm-hmm. what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I totally know <laughs> what you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So from the time that you built that foundation in recovery, and like you said, it's an ongoing process. I mean, I'm 
just finally hit my bottom with food again, you know, and I'm 10 years clean and sober, but I'm like, okay, need help. Got to start working on this area, right? Because that now is my drug of choice. But, you know, it's that foundation that allows me and those tools that I built that allows me to continue to, like you said, right, implement it in other areas of your life. So how did you discover your purpose to what you're doing today to starting the foundation? Yeah, well, I I was really lucky in that I think I, in some ways, found it a little bit early, and, and, and my purpose was discovered not necessarily through a way I would recommend, and that is limb loss, right? Like, that is a tough way to go about finding what you're meant to do on this planet, uh, but it's what it, it's what it afforded me, you know, um, that huge tragedy and trauma for me, it, it, it made it clear to me, like, hey, this is what I want to do, but so I started it at 16. But then all of the addiction stuff started to ramp up. So I wasn't really actively involved. I wasn't engaged. And then um, a few, just a few years ago, really, after a couple of years of early sobriety, um, it became clear to me after sort of reaching this plateau, this place of stagnation. Like, Because again, I came back to those, that belief system of in order to be valuable on this planet, you must, you must do X, right? And like my parents were physicians. My brother's an attorney. My other brother's a business owner. So I had this idea of like, you have to go out and make money. You have to go out and like crazy. So I, I, I chased that for a bit. And one day it was pretty sudden. It was a pretty sudden thing after like a, a quite a bit of sort of just kind of generalized angst and like, what am I doing? I, it became clear to me like, hey, you, here's this thing that exists and it is your life's purpose. Go pursue it. Go do it. And like, I had people that doubted me. I had people that actively were like, this is a bad idea. But I had my recovery community to lean in on. And everyone in that recovery community was going, is that like, have you spent time quietly in prayer and meditation, reflecting on this, journaling on this, connecting with your higher power, connecting with others, talking about it? Does it feel right when you're still and quiet? Yes, 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 yes. Go do it. And so I did it. And I did it with this, with this, village i did it with my tribe and they're the ones that gave me the encouragement they're the ones that like when i was feeling resentful at the people that were saying you can't do it i mean i'm talking about people internally within the organization are like no we think this is a bad idea uh like we just did it we went and did it you know and we put one foot in front of the other and and we just broke it down like very much like a day at a time this is what needs to happen and and man i I wake up literally every day and i and i'm going uh, I fight on behalf of these kids and my own, my sole purpose is to like figure out ways that I can better improve their lives. And it is sweet. Wow. <laughs> it's, so sweet. it's so good. It's so good. And yeah. this is really a form of relapse prevention, right? Because, yeah. you know, you said it somewhere in there and not using this exact word, but we're resilient. Like any of us that have overcome adversity, right? Trauma, any sort of addiction. I don't think people realize how much they're capable of it. I don't think people realize that it's like, you know, you've overcome all this. Like you have the skill that you need within yourself. It's not going to come out of, you know, something else external. It's going to come from within you. But like myself as well, like, I got complacent around the five, six year mark. And I was like, well, what now? Like, I've got a good paying job, right? I've got a great partner. 
everything's going really well, got myself out of my bankruptcy, but now what? Like, is this it? And when I started to realize that my experience and everything I had overcome was actually a gift instead of something negative, that is when my recovery completely shifted. And it started small. Yeah. Right? It's, you know, it's something I'd like to talk about is that I think, you know, our brains, we, I don't know about you, but I'm an all in kind of person. So when I, when I do something, I'm like, (laughs) I've got an idea. And I'm like, rush into it, like head on. And usually I hit the wall, fall back down, get up and I do it all over again. Right. I think a lot of us have that in common, but (laughs) the reality is, is our brain does things better in smaller increments before we know it. We're like, wow, turn around right one day and realize how far we come. So can you kind of talk about, you know, not only that resilience, but starting small, really recognizing your values and worth, how you need to affirm yourself, because I've always looked at that from external sources. And then, of course, the importance of surrounding yourself with people who want what you have, right? Good people. Yeah. No, I I think one of the one of the many blessings in a mantra of mine, and it's it's like, this is about like applying principles beyond uh, just the program, right? And that was it for me. It was like coming back, like the the simplest, easiest, like you know, mantra that I heard early on was this, like a day at a time. I don't know if I can be sober in twenty forty six, but I woke up this morning and I prayed and meditated to stay sober today. I've got a pretty decent chance of staying sober today, uh, you know. But yeah, I, for me, like I didn't set out to. Like with the foundation, for example, like I didn't set out to, we serve 86 kids right now that will help until they reach adulthood. Like we started super small with that. Um, and today it's grown into this thing that is well, 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 well beyond my imagination. And so, um, yeah, I've got to break things down really small. Otherwise I just get really overwhelmed. I, I go like really hard and fast and I lose interest. And then I start to doubt myself. That belief starts to step in where it says like, are you really capable of this? Like, this is reserved for those people or like them over there, not you. Like, I don't know. And so that's been, uh, yeah, a, a real blessing has been like breaking things really down really small. This idea of affirming ourselves is so huge. Like, I still am trying to like reverse these because for 30 years I was given, I was internalizing these messages of like, not good enough, not capable, not worthy, not worthy. Like, all of these things. Um, and so every day, like I have affirmations taped to where I brush my teeth on the mirror. And I, I read those affirmations to try to just shift for that internal shift to take place. And some of it's happened, um, but some of it hasn't quite fully sort of taken, you know, taken root yet internally. So um, that data just daily, I just do that every day to try to affirm that because it's crazy. It's like, what the world is tough enough of a place like i don't need to be uber self-critical of myself like to just add more to that like it's tough enough as it is um yeah i don't know if that answers that at all but like i'm yeah i don't know it does and self-talk is something that i've really learned over the last while that is so critical i mean when we focus on what we don't like or what we don't want, we manifest more of it, right? It's no wonder why the secret took off because like it is actual science that when we have positive thoughts and we think about what we want to attract into our life, 
that is what we attract, right? It's not some mystical, magical thing. People think it is sometimes, but it's not. It's actually, that is how our brain works and functions. So I found that for me, when I became an entrepreneur, because I didn't think so either, I'm like, well, who's going to take me seriously? First of all, who's going to listen to my podcast? You know, who's going to read my books? Um, who's going to want me to coach them, right? And and that hasn't been an issue, even though, you know, it doesn't happen fast enough for me sometimes. Yeah. But the reality is, is when I do put one foot in front of the other, it happens. And it's more than I could have ever imagined in the last couple of years. But I really had to start surrounding myself with people who are doing similar things, right? Stop being envious of like, ah, well, it must be nice that they have that. Well, they have it for a reason. So, you know, how important has that been for you to be, make sure you surround yourself with great people? So, so massive. It it is like literally, I think the most important thing that I, for me is like surrounding in recovery, surrounding myself with people that not just do I want what they have, but do they want what they have? Are they content with what they have? You know what I mean? Like, Okay. Yeah. And you can tell it, it's hard to fake that, you know, it's hard to fake uh, folks that are really content and at peace and serene with what, where they are in their lives. Um, So yeah, I, I, my community and recovery is so massive. And then more broadly surrounding myself with, with people, it's what's made it all possible. You know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with, you know, go with the others. Uh, Paraphrasing that, but you get the idea. Like, I have had to surround myself with other people because I just can't. Um, I don't have good, good sort of ability to to judge things like myself, especially like or what's capable or what I'm capable of or what I'm not. So like I've got to kind of put it to other people. Like, hey, do you you know just getting their input and perspective on all things, like on all things, and that's what recovery's done is it's opened me up to to a be more vulnerable and real and authentic with people, but to also like invite people into my struggles and to show them like take the masks off take the bullshit away like this is where i am will you help me god the value of asking for help the willingness people have to help when you just say hey will you help me um i'm sure you've experienced that but like yeah it's been so massive to have a group of people around me that are up to similar things that are living the kind of life that i want to live because they a inspire me to do more they keep me honest. They keep me sort of like, they keep me focused. Um, so, so much upside. I can't imagine doing it alone. Couldn't do it alone. No. And nor would, you know, I would never want to do it alone. Yeah. And, you know, it's, I tell people too, it's okay to not be okay. And one of the things, and one of the reasons why I drank is because I didn't want to feel my emotions, right? If I felt sad or something yeah. had happened or I, I, very often would let the behaviors of other people affect me, right? Like maybe they don't like me, especially in high school, that my go-to was to drink it away, right? And get rid of it. But today, I mean, you know, last week I reached out to a good friend of mine and I said, listen, I need help. Like I'm not okay. I'm eating again. I'm, I'm, you know, eating these foods that are my comfort foods because there's an emotional need that I'm not meeting for myself. And I say I'm not meeting because nobody else can meet that need, right? So mm-hmm. I learn, lean into my faith harder, right? I call my support group, right? I tell people this is the place I'm in. And I think this podcast is a really cool platform to be able to share that with too, is that we all go through difficult times, right? We yeah. all go through struggles just because we're sober, 
does not mean that life gets easier. In fact, I had the hardest year, most challenging year of my recovery yet, but it was also the best year because Mm. I know without a doubt that I can go through all this stuff. And the one thing I do not feel like picking up, well, there's a few things, but drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Like there's no way I know that that's not going to be the solution today. Yeah, completely. I I just got emotional just like hearing that, like this idea, how do you deal? One thing that I do still really struggle with is this idea of like what other people think of me, you know, like even in like, yeah, I, I really struggle with that still. And I, Letting go of that idea of like doing it perfectly. Like what, what I think, what I see so many people in recovery fall into is this idea of like having to do it perfectly, like, you know, and it's like, I fall short all the time. And it's like, so we're so lucky that we have this like ability to make amends uh, and this ability to clean our side of the street. But like, I still so often fall into this idea of like, I need to do it perfectly. Like if I don't do it perfectly, it's that all or nothing thinking. It's like, it's I either do it perfectly or I just don't do it at all. Forget about it. And it's like, <laughs> no, I'm just doing the best I can. And can I just extend a little grace and compassion to myself? Just be a little more gentle with it. If I, I can tell you the last time I've had a conversation with a sponsor in which I haven't said gentle, gentle, like, just be gentle. You're okay. It's okay. It's okay that you cussed out, uh, you know, the, the checkout lady at the, at the public's like, we'll go make, we'll go make amends to them. We'll clear it. We'll write that wrong. But like, it is just like this, uh, this thing of extending grace, compassion myself. I think that's a major uh, marching order for me this year, but in letting go of that perfectionism, like golly, just let it go. It is a hard thing. And what I found is that it really revolves around mindset. You know, one of the, the courses I teach, I was just teaching a bunch of women in recovery, right? We talked about mindset. So in terms of, you know, um, I asked them questions, very simple questions. Like if you think, agree or disagree, am I good at math? Or I Mm -hmm. think I'm good at math. Um, I don't think I'm athletic, right? Um, So basically the agree would be that you don't think you're that good at it. And so because it involved certain actions that you take or certain Mm -hmm. things you had to learn, Almost all of them had put disagree to everything. And one woman had raised her hand and said, you know, there's a couple of those that I had put agree. But then I thought logically, like your brain will kick in and go, you know what? Come on. Like if you actually applied yourself. So logically, we all have the capacity to understand that if we actually worked for it, we could accomplish it. Right. It might we might fail a few times, but that's opportunity. Right. That's there's nothing wrong with it. But then when I ask them questions about they'll try a new project at work, knowing it may not work out, they want to finish something to completion and make sure it's perfect first before they hand it in. There was that perfectionism, right? Which is something that I don't struggle with as much. I was always told that your good is someone else's great, Mm. right? Yeah. Which is so incredibly important when you're thinking of putting stuff out there and putting yourself out there for one, right? Because I think as humans, we, we do care what people think. I think if anybody doesn't care there, there are certain things that are our triggers, right? I think we're all human. It depends who is, is, you know, making the judgment, whatnot, but like mindset, a growth mindset really involves the ability to try something new 
knowing that it might not work out, but you're still going to move forward trying it. And, you know, as far as I actually, it's interesting. I just did a set of 12 steps around codependency, yeah. right? And yeah. it didn't feel good because I was like, wow, I am actually powerless over the behaviors of others. And when I try to control those behaviors, my life becomes unmanageable. And yeah. that was eye-opening for me. To totally, you know, it, it completely. And what's what's like one of the beauties of this thing of when you really are are getting the work in of like one of the it's that two sides of the same coin. When you're peeling back those layers, the fact that like you're making progress, but I'm seeing that there's more stuff to do. There's more like I'm power. There's just more there. There's more. There's more work. Like if I really turn this rock over, and sometimes I can go like. Man, I don't know if I want to turn another rock over. I just kind of want to go on cruise control for a couple months. But what I find is that like there's just more stuff, and I want to be free, and I want to be at mm -hmm. peace, and I want to I want to be able to get out of my own way so that I can go do this amazing work, this amazing opportunity that lies ahead of me. Um, but like, yeah, that's one of those things of like I'm in this place of of coming up on five years of of finding that, um, gosh codependency that all that other stuff is just this massive thing that's like lurking over there that is far more um impactful in my life because i'm just not willing to like i'm not willing to act out in those ways that aren't drinking like it, this whole thing is not about not drinking anymore yeah. you know and like that's where i am of like i want to be free and in order to be free i don't know anything better than to like roll my sleeves up and get to work and say, Hey, I need some help in this area of my life. That has nothing to do with drugs and alcohol. Cause with you, I'm the same way. Like I've faced some serious shit in my recovery. I mm -hmm. know that drugs and alcohol are not going to help it. Um, yeah. Thank God that I, I know that to my core. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I can totally relate to the, you know, what other people think, because I think that's just a normal part of life. But I think, when you know you're you're triggered with something it's being able to ask yourself okay is this a situation i can control and most often it's our expectations and it's a no <laughs> you know people are going to do what they're going to do and it it's it's difficult and i actually realized that you know by learning more about emotional intelligence and you know where where emotions show up in my body before i tend to like react to a certain trigger is that i actually will react harder when somebody that doesn't know me will criticize me as opposed to somebody who I care about and trust. Like somebody could tell me my website sucks, this sucks. And I'm like, okay, great. I'll fix it. Right. Like I'm a, yeah. I want to fix those kind of things, but yeah, it's when people don't know you and you're like, it's like, why do we let them take up so much space? Like who cares? <laughs> And not just that, like, not only do I allow them to like rent space in my head and to affect my serenity and my peace and do I give that away to them? Um, not only that, but like, I, I, it, it just is so, yeah, yeah, who cares? <laughs> who cares? Like, that's it, thanks. Like, that's it, no, no further questions. Like, that's it, like, who cares? Um, yeah. But it's just an opportunity, it's an opportunity. Um, and I love how you frame that. Like. Gosh, and, and what another blessing of recovery of like this idea of of framing things, you know, mm -hmm. like I always used 
like my traumas and my, my stuff, addiction, uh, the loss of my legs, all of those things were all data points to support that there wasn't a power greater than myself. Well, if there was a God, would I have, would I have lost my legs as a 16 year old boy? And who's going to argue with like, no one's going to be like, you know what I mean? Like people, and I knew how to use that. I knew how to lever that trauma to like get people to stay the hell away from me. Cause don't come in and look at what's going on here. You like stay out there. Um, but I used it as a data point. And like one day somebody just in recovery that I trust and I love and they go, well, what if those things are very proof of the existence of that thing? What if you just take that event, but reframe it and just look at it from 180 degrees that way? And I was like, oh my God, it blew my <laughs> mind. Like, I don't know. It was just, it blew my mind. Wild. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And this is why I love these conversations because I find that the more open-minded you are and the more you are to say out loud, like, I don't know how to do this yet, right? Like the whole codependency thing. When I heard some of the, like, I remember, you know, doing that inventory and having to write that out. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not that resentful at anybody right now, right? Like I'm good, but it focuses all on emotions, behaviors, and beliefs. And I had 25 pages that I had to review and it was incredibly humbling, but it's, I think, such a gift to be in a position where it's like, you know what? My life is not perfect. I still mess up day to day, I love wholeheartedly. So sometimes I get myself into situations where, you know, and it's, it's so fun to be able to learn and to take things out of our everyday transactions, the things, the experiences that happen every single day. It's like, how cool is that? Yeah, totally. And you know, you know what else I find? I'm, are you lazy? Hmm. I can, I can be I can if be I've done so, too much. <laughs> I can be so lazy with my recovery, you know? Yes. Like, I can be like, do I meditate every day? Do I review my, my, you know, do I take a daily sort of inventory and review it? Like not every, it's so easy for me to fall out of that stuff, you know, yeah. out of the daily things that I've got to do to be, to be right, to be grounded, to be centered, to be of maximum service, to like really feel connected and alive, you know? Yeah. And I think that has been a game changer is my morning routine is something that does not waver, especially oh. now, because I know if I can keep myself spiritually fit, you know, sound mind, good health, then I function 10 times better and I'm more motivated and driven. So, you know, when things are going really well and you talk about, right, I mean, we don't, sometimes we let up on our recovery and I think yeah. complacency is very common you know, when things are going really well for you, you know, what are the activities that you will do day to day to keep that sound mind? Yeah. First, first thing. And I, I love like it, for me, it's, it's really like getting the day started in the, in the right way, moving in the right direction. So like when I'm in my best place, what my daily routine looks like is I am number one, I wake up and I, I make the bed. Like, it's like this very, like, it's something that had started in treatment that was suggested to me. And I like, that's where I felt like, okay, I'll make the bed. Um, and then it's connecting with that power, sitting quietly, doing a little bit of reading. Like I'll, I'll read sort of some daily reflection stuff or, or something to just kind of get uh, in that mindset. Um, and then sitting quietly and connecting with that power, connecting with that source and kind of thinking about my day. What is, what's the day going to look like? I have a couple of set kind of prayers that I do. Um, 
I do some affirmations also, like with like I was saying, where I brush my teeth on the mirror. So getting the day started with that, like feeling connected, asking for guidance, asking to stay sober that day, um, and then like directing my thinking and thoughts, uh, you know, to be of maximum service. Like, what does that need to look like? And then if there's stuff that's like, you know, sort of anxiety producing, because like I still I still contend with that quite a bit. Um, you know, I, I really focus on those things and ask for guidance and ask for the presence of that power um, in helping me get through those things. And then, you know, I, I kind of start my day uh, and then I've, I have to use the phone. I have to talk to people. I have to talk to, to men, especially in the program, um, to get their thoughts, to connect, get outside of myself, say, like, how are you? What, what are you dealing with? Let's struggle, you know. Um, and then I, I'm still kind of a, I've, it's, COVID's been really difficult for me because meetings have been tough to get to, you know, in person. And I'm pretty on the cautious side with exposure stuff. So um, the best days are like when I, I make it to a physical meeting and I sit quiet, you know, I'm, I'm there and I'm present and I'm of service. Um, and then prayer at night. So those are my, those are my big ones. But um, yeah, th those are things that when I'm at my best, those, that's what I'm doing. Guaranteed. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it's very similar to my routine as well. And I think, you know, I love how you said making the bed because mm -hmm. it is so simple. And I've heard many people state it, especially people who have gone through treatment, is that if you can't even wake up and make your bed in the morning, right? Think about that. And it's, I'm yeah. like, well, I don't sometimes want to make my bed, but now every day, and I can't remember the last time I didn't do this. I yeah. make my bed and if I, I can't get out of bed and just leave it. So it's interesting you said that, but it is. It's the day-to-day -day habits that we do to keep our mental house in order, I believe, that are super impactful. So obviously we're running out of time, which really sucks. But that if sucks. people... That sucks. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I never like it when we run out of time. But if people want to learn more about you, um, where can they find you? Yeah, uh, jordanthomasfoundation.org uh, is probably the best the best place there. Uh, and then I'm on Instagram, press on JT, uh, and then Jordan Thomas Foundation on Instagram as well. Amazing. Or we're doing Thank YouTube you. Google search. Yes, just YouTube it. Yeah, just YouTube it. <laughs> well, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to chat. An amazing conversation. And um, yeah, thanks again for being on the show. No, thank you so much. I really, truly enjoyed it. So thank you. Sobriety is such a gift. And if you're someone who's still struggling, don't give up. You know, this, you take this journey one day at a time. Sometimes it's one second at a time. And, but whatever you do, just keep putting one foot in front of the other and reach out when you need help because there are so many amazing people in this world of recovery that you can engage with and just build your community. Find your home in recovery. Now, I have a new website, so I would love it if you could check it out. Let me know what you think. It's www.yoursobernowwhat.com and your is spelt with an E. So Y-O-U-R-E, sobernowwhat.com. And on it, I have simplified the website. You can find the Now What call. So if you're sober and you haven't figured out your Now What, uh, make sure you book a free call with me. I can help you create a roadmap for that Now What part of your journey. Uh, you will also have access to the connected Calm Life 
community. And I've also thrown in my relapse prevention formula course. So you can check that out at no cost. But again, head on over to www.yoursobernowwhat.com. I'll see you on the next show.